So this morning, I want to jump in and be forthright. Uh, I need to take some time this morning, and uh, I have a hunch that I'll, I'll do something like this again in a, in a few months because of the transient nature of Sunday morning church attendance in contemporary times. It's important that uh, things are repeated because, you know, kind of our turnover each week is different. There's kind of a different crowd each week. Over a six-week period, it's all the same crowd, but over in any particular Sunday, it might change. And so I want to continue to offer spiritual encouragement, and I want to end on a message of uh, a sermon that hopefully is empowering to you and uh, uh, edifying to you. Uh, at the same time, I need to make sure that as a family, we have a family chat this morning because I need to make you aware of the reality of our financial situation. And we don't do a lot of that in this church, and I think maybe that's probably on my part, part of the issue and part of the problem. And so I'm trying to correct that. So before I move forward, though, in having a discussion like this, I want you all to know that in complete sincerity, I do not set up here with any anxiety in my heart. Everything I'm gonna share with you doesn't negate what we just sang. God is absolutely faithful. Now, he may call us in seasons to be a little bit discerning about how he's leading that faithfulness, and sometimes that might create scenarios that we would rather avoid, but even if it does, it doesn't mean that God isn't going to be faithful all the way through them, and I believe that with all my heart. I believe in this community. I believe in the mission and the vision of this church. And I believe in the faithfulness of the God who sustains us. At the same time, we also have to be realistic with assessment. And we have to have times because we're a family. We, we have to talk about it. My, recently, my oldest daughter and son-in-law just moved in with us because they're building a house. We learned very quickly that if we don't have regular moments of talking about and assessing our situation and talking about our needs and how we can serve one another, then they might move out of the house and never see us again for 10 years. And so it, it has been a blessing to be able to take away the weirdness of conversations and just be frank and honest. And so that's what we're gonna do this morning. So I am gonna talk about money, 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 money. And it is a difficult conversation. I think we should acknowledge that from the very beginning. Uh, when it comes to issues of money, and particularly if you've been raised in churches and you've seen some um, ill-advised, manipulative ways of talking about money, it makes us even more uncomfortable uh, when we gather in church and the pastor starts to talk about money. Uh, we all have internal and external baggage when it comes to discussions about money, and oftentimes we feel uncomfortable talking about it. Fine, let's just acknowledge that it's a little uncomfortable, but that we love one another, and we're all serving Jesus, and we're on mission together, and so we want to be aware. And it's fine that we're uncomfortable, but it's not fine to let that uncomfortableness cause us to avoid conversations that wisdom would tell us to pursue. So we're going to have a frank discussion about it, because as I said before, avoiding this discussion, I do believe, is part of the problem, and that is my responsibility, uh, for which I apologize to you all. Uh, in part, uh, I'm still being changed by the text, and in studying Philippians, 
I can say with utmost truthfulness, it altered my approach to bringing up this conversation this week, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I'm going to be frank with you. I see about six interconnected problems. And by the way, if you don't have the notes or the bulletin, I really, really encourage you to go ahead and have, uh, if you're here as a couple, one of you sneak out and grab those. Or if you're an individual, you might want to make sure that you have those. It'll make it a little easier to follow along this morning. Um, There are six interconnected problems that I want to share with you this morning that we're facing. Problem number one is very frank. CCC is experiencing a financial shortfall. And we have been experiencing a financial shortfall for a little while. Problem number two, uh, I think that many of us are not aware that we actually publish our financial situation every single week in the bulletin. I'm certain of this, of the conversations, because part of what I wanted to do in preparation for this talk this morning, which has been three or four weeks in the making, is talk with other individuals about their experience. And, and, and one thing that's clear is that not everyone is aware of, uh, of the numbers that we publish every week in the bulletin, or if you are aware of those numbers, you may not understand how to read them or interpret them, which is fine. It's okay. We are not all... Uh, uh, mathematicians and and we have different skill sets so I just want to correct that this morning and take a moment to explain how you should read and interpret that information that we share each week. Uh, Problem number four is that there is a history of false and legalistic teaching around giving and finances in the contemporary church. They are not always accurate and therefore they are manipulative. And the reason why I'm beginning the sermon with letting you know I'm going to share with you an assessment of our financial situation is because originally I thought I'm going to do the sermon and then kind of in the application part, I can bring this in. And I actually wrote the sermon that way and then started looking at it and felt very ill at ease because I thought, I just am afraid, maybe not for the majority, but for someone, this is going to come across as coercive or manipulative. And I don't want to do that. I just want to be frank and forthright. So... So um, I am sensitive to the history of that. And so we're going to talk about giving maybe a little differently than you have thought about it before. Uh, Problem number five, and and on this one, if like me, and so I was 50 years old before I was started to understand how to navigate life with the challenges of ADHD. And so if you fade in and out of talks, it's very important to me that you hear my heart on this next point. Because we got to be honest and we have to talk about it, but it is critical that we assess it with the spirit of Christ. Problem number five, there are people who are actively telling people not to give to our church. Now, I want to be honest with you at this point. I am saying this without any hint of negativity, anger, or frustration in my heart. I completely understand it. But what we have to understand is as a community, there's that reality and therefore it is important that together we are mutually investing into the work of this organization if we feel called to it and if we believe in it. I'm also mentioning it because in the past three weeks, some of you have been concerned and forthright in sharing some of those experiences with me. Which means, to me, if some of you are sharing those experiences, others are having those experiences and not sharing them. 
And I want to be very clear and pastoral on this point. If that causes anger or defensiveness, I implore you to get before the Lord and ask him to soften your heart. Because we do not want to respond with defensiveness or anger or judgment to anyone who for every reason may feel like it's important to communicate that to other people. Because I am just naive enough to still believe, perhaps not all of them, but the majority of them are doing so from a place that they think, or a motive that think is good and proper and that they have a responsibility to communicate. Um, so I, and so we have to be on it. Look, God has given us a mission and it's a little bit of a unique mission, which we should, I feel privileged that he's given us that. Our mission, our vision of our church. I'm gonna talk about the mission a little bit more next week because uh, I think it's important to talk about in connection with this topic. But our vision as a church is to be a community so rooted in God's love that we are renewing the experience and expression of Christianity in our generation. Now, other churches have other visions, and that's fine. If we all had the same vision, we would just have one big church, and it's important for us to scatter abroad the city so that we can reach more people. So we need multiple churches. I don't have a problem with that. But some of us will be compelled and driven by that vision and others might not connect with that vision and therefore they have to seek another organization that has a vision that they can connect with. And then some people just are gonna look at that and read it and because they're not called to it, they don't understand it. And when we don't understand something, we typically, all of us, react out of fear. And so therefore, I implore you to hold, though, number one, you're welcome to ask me any question that may come up. If someone brings something to your attention and you wonder about it, by all means, let's talk about it. But let us hold those brothers and sisters with honor and respect and prayerfulness and humility as we accept their opinion, and we might have a different one. It's okay. But I want to, I don't want to pretend like that's not happening. And problem number six, we've yet to establish a consistent culture of communal giving since the days of the pandemic. There is no doubt, and I don't think that we are immune, but we are certainly part of the churches that experience a radical alteration in the nature of giving after the pandemic. Lots of churches are praying about how to respond to that reality. We are no different. That's a reality that we're living with. So in an effort to talk about all of these issues, I'm going to talk about giving, but I want to look at giving through Paul's eyes and ultimately through the eyes of Jesus, because what Paul does here in this section in Philippians we're going to look at is he is echoing the teaching of our Lord. And so they may be verses that typically haven't come up in connection with uh, giving and so forth, but that's okay. I, I don't want to get into the weeds of, I just don't want to rip stuff out of context and be manipulative with it. I, I want us to be honest and frank in this approach. So before we jump into there, I just want you to see if you'll take your bulletin out, take a look at it, you will see the reality of our the financial situation that we are facing. So if you look down under this, Clever little note from Pastor Artie in the blue box. Drop below it and you will see a black box. 
in that black box, it shows you the 2023 weekly budget that the elders have approved and that we presented to anyone who wanted to attend our business meeting back in February. We hand all the details out of that budget for you all to see. So we've approved this. So our weekly budget that we approved this year is, I'm going to speak in round numbers because geography is not my best subject. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, so our weekly budget, round numbers, $12,000. Um, the first number is only going to report to you the offering we received in the previous week. This week, it happens to be $9,000. There may be weeks where you'll see, and so, so you're saying $9,000 a week for a $12,000 a week budget. Now, sometimes you might see $13,000 and high five the person around you. That's worth high fiving. But you also need to pay attention to the fact that some weeks you'll see $3,000. And that's quite a significant gap on the weekly budget. So right now we are running at a deficit of $8,711.28 a week in our budget. We have been publishing all of these in white, but it's really important that we publish them in red because the goal is not to be in the red, it is to be in the black. So when you come and that number is blank, you'll know we're there. Uh, just kidding, we'll publish them in white so that you'll know it's there. The black wouldn't work on the black background anyway. Man, that landed flat. But. But I do think it is important to see, as members of our community, when that number in red, it means we're carrying a deficit for our weekly budget, which means we're carrying a deficit for our monthly budget, which means we're carrying a deficit for our yearly budget. Now, because of the faithfulness of the generations that came before us, this church was founded in 1972, and I am in awe of that generation, of their, of their, of their commitment to the spiritual and uh, talent and financial support that they built into this church. I mean, we are sitting in a building that is debt-free. We don't know anything on it. We don't own anything on the student ministries building that we have uh, just to the north of us. Because of that faithfulness, there is a reserve, but now the reserve that's intended for emergencies, we are having to utilize as supplementary income. Now you all know that if you have expenses that meet a particular amount each month and you have a savings account, but your income doesn't match the expenses, you've got to start reaching for the savings account, which is why it's there. However, it is not intended to be a long-term management plan. So you want to pay attention when that's happening to see if you can assess your financial health and maybe start asking some challenging questions to, 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 to arrive at a different approach. This is where we are. So as we're talking about that, there's, there's that part of it. Wasn't too awkward, but that's the family chat we had to give. Now, in lieu of that, I do want to talk about giving. And again, I am going to give a similar sermon in the next few weeks just so that those of you who may return aren't offended. But again, I need to do that because of the transient nature of Sunday morning church attendance because we all need to be aware of this information. So as we think about giving, and again, I'm making an appeal for your consideration about 
giving to the institution, but I don't want you to think when I'm talking about giving that I'm talking exclusively or even primarily about giving to an institution. We can have a discussion about that. It's part of our responsibility to one another as a community, but I don't want us to get stuck there. It's important for me that we understand that what God is after is not the, uh, the, the, the dollar amount that's given to our institutions, but whether or not we are cultivating a healthy, spiritual uh, discipleship that includes a crystal clear vision of the followers of Jesus' response to how they handle their treasure, how they handle their money, and that we are aware of what Jesus teaches us about this reality. So if we look in Philippians, and we're going to pick this up in a few weeks and kind of round out the study, but I went ahead and jumped ahead. We weren't at verse 15, but I want to look at verse 15, 16, and 17 this morning, because this verse began to change my attitude. Um, Paul writes in verse 15, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Now that's a sentiment, that last sentence, that if it wasn't recorded in the Holy Scripture, I would have a difficult time believing its sincerity. But because it is in scripture, I'm willing to open up my heart and believe the sincerity. And this is where I was rebuked by the Lord this week. Because I never thought about talking about giving is our responsibility because it's good for our souls. And what Paul says here. I am not doing this for the, and in fact, we'll look at it in a few weeks. If you look to the text prior, he says, I'm not really in need because I've learned how to be content. So what he's saying here is I'm mentioning the gift and the giving, but not because I want the gift, but I really want to seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Now, Paul is using a financial metaphor. Everyone say metaphor. So you can't do this and come up with some kind of weird thing that there's like a secret savings checking account for you. And every time you write a check for $10, God's putting $20 into that account. Um, although there are people that have said things like this. I mean, I could take it and say, well, if you'll look at me, you'll see that I am very prosperous. So what we feel like God has told us to do is to let you all know that when you make a contribution to our church, if you'll rub your wallet on my belly, the anointing of prosperity will make the girth of your wallet increase. I'm not doing that, okay? We're not gonna do that. We are going to be honest and submit ourselves to the authority of scripture and the authority of Jesus, and we're gonna trust the sovereign goodness of our God. And in wisdom, we are gonna respond appropriately. So then, what does this mean? Because clearly, even though it's a financial metaphor, it, is, it does seem to speak to something that is somewhat transactional. And it's important that we are very clear and, and, and um, uh, direct about what that means so there's not any misunderstanding. Now, there is certain evidence that his ultimate concern in this verse is far more than his own material needs. Their gift, which serves his physical health, 
serves more significantly as evidence of their spiritual health. And was Gordon Fee to help me see that? His, Gordon Fee is saying that the point of Paul is this. We have to evaluate where our treasure is going in order to have a realistic evalu- evaluation of what we treasure. And so therefore, their giving to his financial health is evidence of their own spiritual health. And so that's, he's using that metaphor. Now, the reference here, even though it's been misapplied this way, is not about investing in ministry so that we can amass more money. That, that I do not believe that that is what Paul's teaching. And I think that that is misguided. Paul has just stated that he doesn't need anything because he's learned contentment. However, when we are generous with our finances, there is another sense in which we experience a reward. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. So what is the reality to which this accounting metaphor is referring? Now, if we're going to ask that question, then the place we need to go is back to the feet of Jesus. So uh, although that Philippians wasn't on the overhead, we do have this next passage here. I want us to take a moment and meditate on this paragraph in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Because again, we are making an appeal about the reality of our situation, but I am just so anxious. If I have anxiety about anything, it's that we understand this is not about just a check that's written to your local church. This is about cultivating a vision of the kingdom of God and the God of abundance and making sure that we are participating with the, with the economy of man. We're participating in the economy of God, which isn't money. It is faith and love. And so we want to see the connection of how our faith and love increases when we have a proper perspective of how we treasure what we treasure with our treasure. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, this, I think, is where Paul might have in mind the teaching of our Lord about this idea of a heavenly reward. And here's what Jesus says. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, what I want to do in the next few minutes as we walk through this paragraph is in particular, I want you to keep your eye on verses 22 and 23. This idea about the lamp of the body. And if it's clear that the body's full of light, but if it's dark, the body's full of darkness. This verse is interesting because if you look at the paragraph, it clearly begins with a discussion about money. And if you look at the last, the last word of the paragraph is what? Money. Money. So beginning and ends with money 
that, listen, <laughs> I, I went to Long Grove, I'll admit it, but when you look at a paragraph that begins with a topic and ends with a topic, it's very likely that everything in between is related to that topic. Who knew? But it is interesting because when people talk about 21 and 22, they rip it out and spiritualize it as though, it's some, as, as though Jesus suddenly had a, like an ADHD thought and went in another direction and came back to money. I don't think that's what's happening. I, I think we're supposed to interpret this idea about the healthy eye in the context of what Jesus is teaching about what we treasure with our treasure. Now, what Jesus says is, don't put your hope in investing in earthly riches. And he doesn't say, don't do this because that's wrong, that's bad. That is not what he says. What he says is, you can't store up and put your hope in earthly treasures because they are temporary. That is his point. It is not demonizing these activities or demonizing these things. He's saying if you participate in them, you can't put your hope and store up your hope in that because all of those things are temporary. There is a such thing as loss that's connected to that. Those things will not last. Many of us will experience, especially in an economy like this, losing our wealth while we are alive. But if you happen to avoid that, you cannot avoid losing your wealth whenever you pass away onto the next life. So one way or another, these things are temporary. They're not gonna last forever. And then he talks about this idea of a heavenly, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, again, I, I don't wanna go too far into this, but hopefully if you've tracked with me over the past few years, you understand that we don't understand that word to mean afterlife where we get to float around with harps and, cher and be become cherubs. Um, I'll become a cherub. You might become an archangel or something. I'm certain I'm going to be a cherub. Just... And, um, and I, I love it. I can't wait. I'm starting on it now. Um, but we're not talking about simply, uh, because the, the weird thing is, is that what some people come away with that is that it means that somehow your experience of the per perfect afterlife in which we're not supposed to experience loss or pain will be enhanced if you did better with your money on earth. Like, like, oh, let me see. How many cars, Adam, do you have at your mansion? Three. Man, you must have not given offerings like mine. I've got five car garage in my man. Yeah, I, I don't really get what we're thinking. Like heaven is gonna be okay, but it's gonna be even better if you gave your money away and you got, tra I, that doesn't make sense to me. But what does make sense is if heaven is the experience of the active presence of God and the reign of God right here on earth in this moment, then how I live my life has bearing on the extent to which I enter in and experience that reality. Now that's something I'm very interested in because my goal as a hedonistic glutton is I want all of the experience of the kingdom of heaven in this moment that I can possibly contain. So if you can tell me how to expand that, I am all ears. I think that's what Jesus is doing right here. I don't think he's morphing to some kind of weird afterlife analogy. He's talking about how our generosity impacts our spiritual health right now here today. So I would suggest to you that he's referring to the fact 
that our experience of the heavenly realm of God continues to increase the more we are generous with our finances. That's not the only way we practice generosity, but it is one of the ways that we practice generosity. Now, why is this? And this part is incredibly important. Because being generous with our finances means that we do not put our faith in mammon or money. Instead, we are surrendering to the rhythm of God's grace and we are surrendering to life under the realm of God's kingdom. And mammon is a terrible taskmaster. Let us not pretend as though at one time or another, we haven't all seen the little guy behind the wizard. And the truth of the matter is, I want to say my heart is free from anxiety and I'm just abiding and just letting God feed me like he does the little birds and sparrows. But the truth is, the deepest anxieties and insecurities of my life, as I dig around and root them back down, has to do with my insecurity about money. I have a wonderful marriage. God has blessed her with my wife with the wisdom of just recognizing my wisdom. And so that makes our conversation so much easier. And yet, the most discouraging and defeating discussions and arguments and hurtful words that we've given to one another have happened in the context of the stress of discussing money insecurities. And I do not believe that that's what God wants for us. He wants, at the end of the day, our foundation to be resting on this God of gratuitous grace who is full of abundance. And therefore, we may be temporary temporarily frightened and we may need to be seeking some wisdom and change our strategy but we don't turn on one another and harm our oneness with one another as we seek that process in fact i think what happens is when we are resting in a god of abundance even though we're faced with scary questions we walk through it together and our union increases so rather than money being a point of pulling us apart, it actually is one of the God's means in our marital discipleship of bonding us even more strongly together as we put our faith in God and watch the miracles that he works in our lives to take care of us. So being generous with our finances is a way that we violate those insecurities. Not the only way. Yeah, I'm not saying you can remain ignorant about your strategy and just give more money away and it gets fixed. Although at one time I did believe that. Uh, found out very quickly that that was not how God's plan works. Um, but I am saying that it does empower me to actively trust God in a way that few tangible things do. M maybe letting, putting my kids in God's hand number one, and then the way I respond to the call of generosity. So then this comes to the point of the I. What I think Jesus is talking about is for the disciple, it is absolutely critical that we assess our relationship to money and the extent to which perhaps 
our insecurities are being driven by money insecurities rather than an act of trust in a God of abundance. And that is critical for our understanding because we might fool ourselves into thinking we're an act of trust when we're not. Nothing will bring that to a challenge more than the way we watch where our treasure is going. And so what Jesus, I believe, is communicating, and I would ask you to consider, is that when the eye of generosity is healthy, then we're full of more light. Generous stewardship leads to an increase of light. Therefore, generosity is a way that we participate in the rhythms of God and are liberated from the fear of scarcity. And for me, if I may insert my narrative, this discussion is not about, do you believe in tithing? Do you not believe in tithing? And if you're not giving 10%, do you believe in giving 9%, 1% or negative 5%? You know, all of these weird things that we get into. For me, it was a revelation that I held on to my money like this because I thought God's universe was full of lack and scarcity. And I had to watch my back and watch myself and protect myself. Now, was the dollar amount I was holding on to or giving having much of an impact in that conversation? No. But what it did to my soul to be living in an unsafe universe, to on Sunday morning say, I trust God and his faithfulness and he, he can be trusted and I can step out in faith. But in reality, the reality of my heart was a hypocritical stance that God would not be faithful to me and I need to be sure and protect myself. That attitude was harmful to my soul. And I had to have a revelation. Did I trust a God of lack and insecurity or a God of abundance. And when I look at the scripture, it seems very disrespectful of me to assume that our creator is characterized by lack and scarcity. I do not believe he is. I believe he is characterized by abundance. And, and that revelation extends beyond my approach to money. It starts to impact every area of my life. The God that you are worshiping, do you really trust him? I assume yes, but you have to be open to let the Holy Spirit show you where that trust or lack of trust is actually terminating. And for me, it was terminating in a lie. I did not trust God's abundance nor his goodness. I was stuck in a, in a scarcity mindset. And that not only made me stingy with my money, it made me stingy with my love, with my forgiveness and with my grace. I don't want to live that way. I want to live gratuitously generous in every area of my life with my love, with my forgiveness, with my patience, and with my finances. I believe the vision of the kingdom of heaven here on earth is we live in this place where we are characterized by the security of knowing that our good God will take care of us just as he clothes the flowers of the field and the, he feeds the birds of the air. And that furthermore, we'll see the beauty that in his economy, the way that happens is not just that God takes care of us, but he gives me the privilege of surplus 
and prosperity so that I can be the means through which he takes care of the needs of others. In God's economy, and hat tip to my mentor, Grant Huggins, for this, the money is never mined. It's God's money, and it's just moving around. In some months, it moves into this hand right here. But some months, it needs to move into this hand and out of it quickly and into the hand of another. Now, there aren't any rules around that. This is walking in step with the Spirit, with the liberty of knowing I can respond whenever the Spirit prompts me, and it's going to be okay, because that is a part of the way that this economy is intended to work. So, even though I am making an appeal of letting, making you aware, and, and listen, I hope that you are hearing in that opening, not desperation, it's just information. It really is. But it is information that we all need to contend with. That's why I'm bringing it to our attention. But what's more important to me is whether or not when you wake up and you say your thank you to your Father in heaven, that you understand you are not thanking a God full of anxiety, fear, and lack, and scarcity. You are entrusting yourself to a God of gratuitous grace who is overflowing with abundance, And your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask it. And he's a good father. He's going to take care of you. Fear does not need to motivate us. We can be motivated by faith, love, and hope. So as the worship team comes forward and we prepare to come to the Lord's table, just a few reflection questions as you gather and as you pray and as you meditate. Number one, And this is the most important one that I want you to ponder if you don't ponder anything else. Is your faith in a God of lack or a God of abundance? Number two, will you pray about and consider how God might be calling you to invest in the mission and vision of this community? Number three, will you ask the Holy Spirit to show you how he is calling you to practice generosity as spiritual formation. And I'm asking that question beyond institutional giving. Be open to how the Holy Spirit is inviting you to a rhythm of generosity in all areas of your life, or perhaps in using you to meet the material needs of your brothers or your sisters. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that as we take time to look at numbers and talk about them and assess what they may mean it is all done so from an atmosphere of great is thy faithfulness you are faithful to us as individuals and you are faithful to us as a community and we put our active trust in a God of generosity and abundance In Jesus' name I pray, amen.